Good morning. Why are we gathered together? We are gathered together to honor the memory of John Doe. John Doe will be greatly missed by this community. And from all that I've heard, he was a fine gentleman, fine father, and a fine husband. What is the theme of our ceremony? The celebration of life is our theme. For what purpose have I been appointed? I have been appointed to bring a message of hope to all listeners. From where does this message come from? This message comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. Please rise for the reading of the word of God. Romans, again, chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. Please follow as I read aloud. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. This is the word of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. Amen. Please be seated. Next, let us ask God for the illumination of this written word. With heads bowed, let us pray. Our Lord and God, give us your spirit. Increase our capacity to listen and learn from your word. Increase our love for your gospel message. Bless our listeners, we ask and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. What is the title of this message? The title, Our Eternal Hope. Topic of this message is Jesus Christ, the source of our resurrection. What does Romans chapter 6 verses 8 through 10 say to us? I propose that in Romans chapter 6 verses 8 through 10, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, concisely describes the resurrection of Jesus because Jesus is the living Christ of Christians. How can we fully understand all this? Well, I would try to support this with the following three points. Point number one, because Jesus is our living Christ, God has condemned all others. Point number two, because Jesus is our living Christ, God has united us with Christ. Point number three, because Jesus is our living Christ, Christians, Christians trust in the resurrected Lord. Now that I have covered my introduction, let us move into the body of our message. Let us begin with point number one. This deals with the guilt of humanity, the guilt of humanity. Because Jesus is the Christian's living Christ, God, as I have stated earlier, have, has condemned all others. This is a very serious affair. 
Based upon this message, how may we know, or how may you know, that Paul selectively describes or concisely describes the resurrection of Jesus? Well, we can begin by turning to the scriptures. Let us turn to Romans chapter 6 once again, and let us look at the word of God, the written word of God. Over in chapter 6, verse 8, we, we read, Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Notice that. If we die. I am convinced, and many other scholars and commentators along with me, believe that this would be more accurately translated as since. And I, some of your versions might even bring that out. I'm reading from the NIV, but I, I think it should read, since we die with Christ. Why? I believe this because this is a fact. It's a fact that Christ died. His death was, as we will discuss later, uh, was a necessary element of the resurrection. Without his death, there could be no resurrection. So this is, this is a nat- this is a fact. Since we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And I think, uh, also over at, um, verse 6, chapter 3, it brings it out even more clearer for us, as you will see. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Once again, affirming that Christ died. Now, question, how does this support my statement? Well, this supports my statement by showing that death is an important element of the resurrection of Jesus. It's a very important element. Why is death necessary? Why is death a necessary element of the resurrection of Jesus? Well, I'm convinced based upon Hebrews chapter 9, verses 6 through 28, which you can read later on, I'm convinced that it is a necessary element because according to Scripture, according to Scripture, there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. I should say sin. Sin. We must keep in mind who were before and that is, we're before God, a triune God. He has revealed himself in three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yet, he is one divine being, one God. So as far as he's concerned, there's only one sin. And we've all sinned, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is exempt. I hesitate to bring this up because we're in a setting where we are here to honor the memory of one one man who has died and has passed on. But Many of us, and I am confident of this, are, are grappling with this, this ideal, death, this concept, I should say, not ideal, but concept of death, this reality. 
as, as much reality as, as, as living itself. I will never forget a time in my young life where I was asked the question, well, Dennis, did I do the right thing? And this is, this is based upon uh, the fact that one of my friends, my closest friend, had died. And during his death, he, he had died of cancer. And during his death, I was there with him the whole time. or Not the whole time, but most of the time, I should say, when he was in a hospital in his last, in his last moment. And it was, it was basically a 24-hour period that I was there with him and his wife and his family. And she had to make some very serious, serious decisions on what to do with them because, uh, you know, they had finally had to put them on a, a, what is it called, a, a respirator or whatever you call it, whatever they had the life supporting. And she had to make some very serious decisions. And each time she would look at me and ask me the question, you know, what should I do? And all I could tell her was that, you know, I, I think you should do what you think your husband would want for you to do. That's the best I can do. That's the best advice I can give you. And then finally, at, on the day of his burial, she came to me again. And she asked me, once again, did I do the right thing? And I told her, I believe you did the right thing. I believe you honored your husband to the best of your ability. And I said to her, you know, if there are any doubts, maybe you should pray and, and try to talk to him about this. I, you know, at that time, in my young Christian walk, I didn't know any better. I thought that we can do that. I thought it was perfectly okay to talk to those who have passed, who had died. We could talk to them, and they could actually hear us. But I've come to find out that that's not how it works. Who we really want to talk to is Christ. And that's what I'm here to bring forth, is Christ. Christ has overcome death for us. And so I just want to keep that in front, but I'll sense at the same time. My heart goes out to everyone who's here, who I know that this is not an easy affair. So, what does death signify? Death signifies, I'm convinced, the judgment of God against sinful humanity. How does this support my statement? This supports my statement by showing that the death of Christ which is an important element of the resurrection of Jesus, was the result of the judgment of God against sinful humanity. Who is sinful humanity? Sinful humanity is the offspring of Adam. I am convinced of this much. Let us turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, over Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. I believe, I believe this brings this out. This fact, this fact out. It reads, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because some sinned. A few sinned? No. It says all. All sinned. All means all. It's that simple. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking the command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. And that one to come was Jesus Christ. 
That's what they're talking about. Christ. The living Christ. Not a dead Christ, a living Christ. He's not a myth. He's not a myth. And he's, he reigns. He's living right now in bodily form. Even right now in heaven. So know this. The one that you can talk to is definitely Christ. He hears your prayers. What's the main point of this? main point is that Jesus received the punishment that human, humanity deserves. He received the punishment that humanity deserves. Based upon that passage, how do we know that God has condemned all others? I stated that. God has condemned all others. Many scholars agree that the term condemned is best defined as an act of pronouncing someone guilty after weighing the evidence. Why do I believe that God has condemned humanity? Let us turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. The whole book of God is the counsel of God. And so we, I'm trying to encourage you to, to, to see that what we have before us is the written word of God. And it gives an account. An account of not only who God is, but how God has acted throughout history as we know it. And I'm talking about mostly redemptive history right now. I'm talking about history, his history, Christ's history, redeeming mankind, redeeming the people of God. Amen? Now, in verse 8 of chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, it begins with, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I'd like to make a comment right there. And I am in agreement with many scholars and other commentators that this is the day of judgment. The day of judgment. God is our judge, as I have stated earlier. Being that he is our judge, he judges according to his standards. And his standards are the right standards. And so in that day, as he came forth, as a judge... The Lord God called to the man, summoned the man. Where are you? Where are you, Adam? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, you must understand that what has just taken place was that they had rebelled against God. They had rebelled against God. They had rebelled, and they knew that they rebelled. And that's why they ran. They ran. They hid. But they didn't know that God sees everything. God sees everything. And so there's nothing before God that he does not see or does not know. They, they, they may have known that, I don't know, but maybe he was hoping that, you know, on this day, maybe he wouldn't. But, no, God never changes. And that's what, that's what I love about our God. He never changes. He never changes. He's the same today. He's the same yesterday, tomorrow, and forevermore. So that's what we want to, that's what we want to start thinking about. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, why do you, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Notice that. He's presenting the evidence. He's presenting the evidence. 
He's bringing them into account for what they had done. And so are we. We are all responsible for what we have done in this life. And we must always keep that in, in mind. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God replied to the woman, what is this you have done? Again, as a good judge, he's weighing out the evidence. He's, he's looking at the facts. And he's presenting, it, presenting the facts to them as well. They're there. And they're, they're, they're experiencing this account here. So then God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. Now he's, as a good judge, he's rendering the consequences. He's giving the, the, the consequences. He's giving the punishment for their sin, for their rebellion against him. It was through Satan instigation that they sinned. And so he's holding them to account, holding him to account as well. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and of all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I want to end right there. I, was, I could continue, but I want, to, I want to emphasize that right there is the gospel, the clear gospel, the beginning of the clear gospel of Jesus Christ. That right there would unfold throughout this whole entire Bible, a battle, a battle between the seed of, of, of the enemy, which is Satan, and the seed of our Lord God, which is Jesus Christ. And the woman would eventually be no other than Mary herself. So, but this is, this, I'm, I'm bringing this out to, again, bring out the point that this supports my statement that Scripture clearly teaches that God has pronounced all humanity guilty of sin. He administered the consequences, which is physical, spiritual, and eternal death. Next, let's move to point two real quickly. Because Jesus is our living Christ, God has united us with Christ. We can see this based upon passage, based upon our passage. God has united Christians with Christ, a living Christ. Only way we could be united was by God's grace. It was a gift from him, undeserving from us. Christ earned it. It was with Christ's righteousness that we are clothed. Is with Christ, is in Christ that we were brought back into a right relationship with God. And that's what this really, this passage is, is, is seated in. It is seated in the union of Christ. It is seated in uh, the, the justification by God. That is the declaration of God or by God that, all, that those who believe in Christ Jesus are declared righteous, have been declared righteous. Therefore, I'm convinced that Christ's resurrection signifies our union with Christ by the gift of God through faith. That's what this points to. And based upon the passage, how do we know that Jesus is our living Christ? Well, the testimony of the Spirit and the apostles assures us that Christ has risen from the dead. We see this in Romans chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. That's what this is basically talking about. But we know, we know, 
is a, that we have in our spirit, in our heart, the testimony of the spirit because of our union with Christ. That since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And for all those who believe, we too. This is the good news. I'm simple. I give you bad news. Now, this is the good news. And that's what we're talking about now. We're in point number two. This is the good news. The good news is that for all those who believe, we have been united with him. This supports my statement that by showing that union with the living Christ is God's sovereign will for Christians. And that's what I'm trying to bring out here. That is my primary point. Let's move to point number three. This deals with the gratitude of humanity. This deals with the, what I like to call the works principle. Listen, we're joined with Christ, but we are joined to glorify him. That is the chief end of man. Chief end of humanity is to glorify him. And how can we do this? Well, based upon our passage, how do we know that Christians trust in the resurrected Lord? Well, if we look at verse 8, it says, Now, if we die, we believe. Notice that. We believe. We trust. We trust. And it begins. Now, I've been saying Christians a lot, but what is a Christian? A Christian is one who has been renewed. His heart has been renewed by the power of God, the spirit of God. And that's what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about those who, with renewed heart, with a renewed heart, out of gratitude unto God for what he has done through Christ Jesus for us. We trust in the resurrected Lord. Our hope is in the future return of Jesus Christ. This is how it supports my statement. It's a hope. We hope in that which has not yet fully manifested itself. But it is a real hope. We're confident that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will return. And listen, we need to be clear on this matter. And, you know, I have to say this, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I just, but it just troubles me because I heard a minister the other day saying we need a breakthrough. I don't need a breakthrough, and I hope you realize that you don't need a breakthrough. What we need is we need a resurrection. We need a transformation of both body and soul. It has begun in our spirit person. That is true with the first deposit of the Holy Spirit. But we need a full transformation. That comes in the last day. That's the good news. And that's what we look forward to as believers in Christ Jesus. Based upon this message, do you believe? Do you believe in the gospel that Paul talks about over Romans chapter 16? I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written. Just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Do you believe? I will leave that with you. Let us conclude. Let us remember point number one. Because Jesus is our living Christ. God has condemned all others. Because Jesus is the Christian's living Christ, God has united us with Christ. And finally, let us not forget point number three, because Jesus is our living Christ. Christians trust 
That is, we live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight, day by day, trusting. This is our opportunity to minister to one another, to hold one another, to hug one another, to cry with one another. I hope that you're with me on this. Let us close in prayer. Lord God, thank you for illuminating your written word. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Thank you for increasing our capacity to listen and learn from your word. Thank you for increasing our love for the gospel message. Once again, bless our listeners. As we leave this place, we ask and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.